Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Election night went largely according to script, with Republicans gaining power in both houses of Congress. But there were some surprises. At least two Native candidates readily won their races, even though experts predicted tight contests. It could be days or even weeks before Alaska races are decided, and the Navajo Nation has a new leader. We're going to take a look at the results from a Native perspective. That's coming up after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. In Alaska's U.S. House race, Mary Peltola is ahead by a wide margin. She became the first Alaska Native person to serve in Congress after winning a special election this fall to fill out the remainder of the late Congressman Don Young's term. To keep Alaska's lone House seat, the Democrat faced off against two Republicans, former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin and Nick Begich. This has been an amazing journey that we have all been on together in Alaska. Under Alaska's new system of ranked choice voting, Peltola needs 50% to win. She'll likely need votes from those who ranked her as a second choice, a process she compares to traveling in Alaska. You go to the airport knowing full well it could be a five-hour delay before you actually are wheels up. She has 47% of the vote. Sharice Davids Ho-Chunk, who's one of the first Native American women to be elected to Congress in 2018, won a third term to represent Kansas. As Rhonda Lavaldo reports, her win comes after her original district was reorganized. Winning about 55% of the vote, the race for the third district in Kansas had the same 2020 candidates, Amanda Atkins, Republican, and Sharice Davids, Democrat. Tuesday's race was called by the Associated Press just after 10 p.m. New voting districts drawn by the Republican-led legislature divided Kansas City, Kansas in half, costing Davids one of the areas where she performed best in 2020. It also brought majority of three heavily Republican counties to the 3rd District. Davids says her campaign strategy was to talk to everyone in those counties to let them know where she stood. She spoke about the political divide in her speech. Davids is the only Democrat in the Kansas delegation. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. Three Native American candidates for Congress in Oklahoma easily won their seats. Choctaw Republican Josh Burkeen won the seat in the 2nd Congressional District vacated by Mark Wayne Mullen. Mullen, whose Cherokee won a seat in the U.S. Senate. And Tom Cole, Chickasaw, easily won re-election to his House seat. Meanwhile, Republican Oklahoma incumbent Governor Kevin Stitt beat his Democratic challenger. He faced opposition from many of the state's tribes. Stitt, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, has been at odds with tribes over a number of issues. Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. called Stitt the most anti-Indian governor in the state's history. Stitt said his election win is vindication that his agenda resonates with the state's residents. Oklahomans stated loud and clear today that they are proud of how far we've come. Even with upwards of $50 million in dark money, Oklahomans 
They knew the truth tonight. Pre-election polls showed a tight governor's race, but Stitt won by a double-digit margin. Unofficial results show challenger Boo Nygren won the race for president of the Navajo Nation. Nygren was ahead of current president Jonathan Nez by thousands of votes late Tuesday night. In a speech livestreamed from Windorock, Arizona, Nygren thanked Navajo voters saying they voted for change and he committed to working on infrastructure needs and to create jobs and help veterans, elders and young people. Nygren also celebrated the historic win of his running mate, Rochelle Montoya, who's set to be the first Navajo woman to serve in the top office as Vice President. Nez led the tribe through the pandemic and was hoping for another term to continue to work on infrastructure and other needs. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? Or they ask for a gift card so you can avoid going to jail? Stop, it's a scam. Gift cards are for gifts, not payments. Report scams at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Oklahoma's Native American congressional candidates earned a place in history with representation that hasn't been seen in that state in nearly a century. Oklahoma's governor also easily won re-election in the face of significant public opposition by the state's largest and most influential tribes. Elsewhere, Alaska appears to have elected the first Alaska Native representative to a full congressional term, although there is still a ways to go before the race is decided. Also in Alaska, a longtime senator with strong ties to Native issues is trailing. And there is an upset in the leadership for the Navajo Nation. We're breaking down the midterm elections from a Native perspective today. As always, we welcome your insights and questions. Tell us what races are important to you. Did you stay up late last night watching the results come in? Please join the conversation, 1-800-996-2848, or you can always post on our social media. Our Twitter handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's get into this. Joining us first from Washington, D.C. is Jordan Bennett-Begay. She is the editor at ICT. She is Danae. Jordan, welcome back to NAC. Were you up late last night? Hi. Oh, yes, it was. Our whole team was up late last night, and now we're all up early trying to update the results online. <laughs> <laughs> I was up late too. I think a lot of us were. We'll start us off today, Jordan, with, with highlights from yesterday's election, and not just for the Native candidates, but also support for Native issues like sovereignty, land, federal recognition, and other concerns among our tribal communities. Yeah, sure. I mean, just so folks know too, uh, we finally, just to break down some of the numbers, um, this you know 2022 midterm elections, um, in the entire year, we saw 143 um, candidates who filed to run for public office, for city, uh, county, school boards, state, national offices. Um, according to our database, uh, of those 143, five candidates 
the word disqualified or withdrew. So that brought it down to 138 who were on the primary ballot. And then finally, um, in this general election, you know, just yesterday, we saw 87 candidates who were on um, the ballot for state and national offices. Um, and it was about 43 uh, women, 43 men, and one non-binary person out of those candidates. And 11 of those um, indigenous candidates were running for Congress in um, all in 10 states. And we we're looking about at 20 states um, last night. Um, so, I mean, there is just, you know, a lot of um, exciting news that we saw from social media. You know, Peggy Flanagan um, was reelected as uh, Minnesota's lieutenant governor. Um, and we have, you know, a senator um, from Oklahoma, Mark Wayne Mullins, who you know, was elected. And Kevin Stitt, the governor um, of Oklahoma, was reelected for his position. And, you know, James Ramos, um, who is running for the state assembly in California, also won um, his election. Um, but so far, I mean, we're still looking at a couple of other, uh, some races. Um, a few we're looking at, um, Yvette Harrell, so she's running for Congress in New Mexico. Um, and she ran, um, is running for re-election, and it's really a tight race there um, for her in New Mexico. Um, she's behind by about 1,000 votes. And uh, if the results are within a quarter of a percentage point, it would trigger an automatic recount. Um, and we're also watching the congressional race in Nevada where um, Elizabeth Mercedes Krause is running um, for the House. So okay. I know it's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, great, great recap there. And Sharice uh, Davids, of course, uh, won big last night, although right up until before the election, I mean, the polls were looking like it was going to be a really close race, and it wasn't. Were you surprised at all by that outcome? Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, that was a race to watch, you know, for a lot of us. I mean, uh, for me, I was really looking at it because, you know, redistricting. I mean, I covered the census, 2020 census, and you know, I don't know if a lot of folks know that uh, the census um, numbers are used to um, redraw um, district lines. And, you know, that once the numbers came out from the census, a lot of congressional districts were redrawn. And so that affects if states um, gain seats or lose seats in Congress and, um, you know, the population split, split city split, um, and one of the areas was Kansas and Sharice's um, district, um, Congressional District 3. Um, a lot of folks, you know, were saying that it was very Republican-leaning, and it, it was just a really interesting and tight race. Um, but she, a lot of folks were saying, like, she fundraised um, quite a bit and went out there um, to make sure she was, um, you know, that she was reelected. And I know that the Advanced Native Political Leadership said that their worry was to make sure that voters came out, you know, despite mm -hmm. it, you know, um, despite, you know, being that she was, you know, her name was out there already. And um, despite the redistricting process, their big concern was that getting voters out. And, you know, as we've seen in the past, like a lot of voters, um, don't typically come out for the midterm elections. They come out for the presidential elections. So that was their big concern um, in her race. And I think she got a lot of support from the National Democratic Party as well to uh, to kind of get her over the line there with some with some last minute ads and things like that. So yeah, she she won big there, Sharice Davids, uh, in Kansas and. Uh, Jordan, also some some big changes coming to to Window Rock. Uh, Boo Nigren has been elected as Navajo Nation president, and Rochelle Montoya will serve as vice president, first woman to serve in that office. What do you know about Boo Nigren? 
Yeah, uh, Boone Island. I mean, that was an interesting race, and even I couldn't. I mean, I'm from Navajo, so, you know, usually, you know, incumbents like when, you know, at least coming from that community, um, a lot of folks, you know, if they recognize the name, they'll come out. Um, he campaigned hard. He campaigned hard everywhere. He, you know, reached elders back at home. He reached on a social media. Um, when I visited home, his campaign materials were everywhere. He got endorsed. Um, and I think uh, he also, this is his uh, second race he was part of. Um, he ran uh, four years ago, but was a vice presidential nominee. Um, so I think the name recognition came there. Um, for him, but he's you know, 35 years old. He speaks, um, you know, speaks Navajo, and that's like an important uh, factor for a lot of Navajo voters. Um, yeah, he's, and this is his first, um, his first uh, office he'll be holding. So it'll be uh, really interesting to see how you know he goes into that role and what he does for the Navajo people. Were you at all surprised to see Jonathan Nez go down? I mean, I, I thought he handled the COVID-19 pandemic so well. and he, he seemed to have a lot of support there in the Navajo Nation. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a race I'm surprised about um, because uh, it, was, it was really interesting because, like you said, he's an incumbent. People recognize him. He was everywhere. He's been on the news. I mean, you think name recognition would go a long, long way. Um, at least from what I saw, like he didn't um, do a lot of big campaigning and I mean, he was already in office. So I'm wondering if that was something um, he was relying on uh, as well. I know there's some issues that, you know, a lot of Navajo um, people were uh, upset with, like, you know, regarding like veterans and also um, just purchasing of, you know, property and a building here in Washington, D.C. Um, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm not sure, too sure what, hap what happened there, but I know, and I'm not really familiar if, like, he got out to the community to, like, campaign um, with people or among the people. Um, so it was a big surprise. It was a big surprise for me. Mm -hmm. Another interesting uh, candidate from the Navajo Nation, Karen Bedoni. Uh, a libertarian who ran for New Mexico governor. And, and she, uh, you know, obviously she didn't, um, you know, she wasn't a, a contender, but she did pick up some votes. I, I was actually surprised. Uh, she, I think she picked up almost 3% of the vote the, the last time I checked. Um, were you surprised with, with Karen Bedoni's performance last night? Um, yeah, uh, not, not too. I mean, I, I try to like, you know, have a, an open mind because, you know, there are, a little races that you just just surprise you. I mean, you never know. It depends, like you know, a lot of fundraising, how hard they campaign. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors involved. Um, and this was, you know, one of she ran, I think, a couple of years ago um, for a Congress too. So, um, yeah, I, I was just to you know cut it short. Yes, <laughs> I, I was surprised <laughs> okay. to get um, some some votes out there. <laughs> Well, Jordan, please stay with us. I, I, we want to talk more uh, about your perspectives there on the races in Navajo Nation and other parts of, of Native America. Uh, before we do that, uh, I want to introduce our next guest, Angela Wilford. She's a member of the Salt River, Pima, Maricopa Indian Community and the tribe's Intergovernmental Relations Project Manager. Angela, welcome back to the show. Thanks. We lost Angela there. So we're going to go ahead and um, go back to Jordan. And Jordan, I want to I want to ask you, we just have a couple minutes before I have to go to break, but you mentioned 87 natives on, on the ballot uh, for this election, this midterm. Do you know if that's a record? Um, I'm not sure if it's a record, but 
because you know but i think overall like in this year um that so from what i saw in the pattern like there are more native candidates running um but what was surprising to me was about that it was you know 43 women and 43 men and one non-binary person who were on the november ballot um you know a couple of years ago in 2020 it was more native women running so um I was really, uh, I was very surprised by that just because, you know, a lot of Native women have been um, coming into these leadership roles in public offices. Um, and I guess, like, one also, um, one, I get to throw a curveball at you. I know one loss that a lot of people were really um, upset about was Ruth Buffalo. Um, she's um, Mandan Hidasa and uh, Chikara Apache. She was running in North Dakota, and she actually, like, lost that way. Yes, with Buffalo lost. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people were were really paying attention to that race and uh, didn't go uh, in her favor. North Dakota House of Representatives there. Well, folks, we're talking right now with Jordan Bennett Begay. She's an editor at ICT, and she's given us a recap of our midterm election that just wrapped up yesterday. Although some of these races are still being determined and and will be drawn out over the next days and possibly weeks before we have some of these race winners decided. If you've got a question, if you've got a comment, anything to say about the election, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. Share your thoughts. Share your insights. If you have any questions, please, please, the phone lines are open. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Indian Child Welfare Act is on trial in the highest court in the country. U.S. Supreme Court justices heard oral arguments in the most serious challenge to the 40-year-old law. We'll get analysis of the debate and how it fits in with the ongoing pressure on the law. That's on the next Native America Calling. Aditya Healthcare Baniyaharad Illith CMS Walia Bethazaa Auto Indian Healthcare Provider which a Bishbe Hadilne Athlites at B Nas Bas Nas Bas Tat Athlites at B Nakishla Nast Ehastra Bishop in Sakizi Bijigoya Healthcare.gov DAS Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Dehanelia Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're breaking down last night's election results with our guest today, and we welcome your comments. What races with Native candidates were you following last night? Were you surprised by any of the race results? Did you make it a point to go out to vote? Or did you say to yourself, why bother? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We welcome all questions, all comments, so please give us a call. Joining us now, uh, Angela Wilford. Angela, are you there? I'm here, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great, Angela. And once again, uh, listeners, Angela is a member of the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Community and the tribe's Intergovernmental Relations Project Manager. Angela, welcome back to NEC. And any big election surprises for you last night, or did most of the races finish as you expected? No. Well, I, I don't know if you're monitoring Arizona, but everything's still up for grabs. We're, we're watching the election results. 
they still we had some little hiccups. Um, so there's nothing that surprised me for Arizona. I, mean, I think we're still watching. And now, if any other races, I hate. I, I was listening to Jordan's report. Kudos to her. I I haven't even had the the bandwidth to pay attention because Arizona is so hot and heavy in politics that I'm just looking at every race, public in, uh, instruction, governor. It's it's crazy here in Arizona, but I guess so. I'm kind of glad that it's over. Well, for now. <laughs> <laughs> for now. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Arizona governor's race. I'm not sure if that's officially been decided or not, but uh, the native vote influential in that race? We're hoping so. You know, one thing that we noticed yesterday that people showed up, they were out in, in full force. It was families voting, aunties, uncles, grandparents all voting together. So it was uh, there. I'm hoping the data shows that there was a turnout. So every effort that native communities and grassroots organizations have done that it shows in our um, data. Now, uh, which party ultimately uh, controls or has the majority in the Senate could very well come down to how that senatorial race plays out in, in Arizona. And uh, what's the thought on that? Where, where are the Native voters at in terms of that race? Well, again, I think for Indian country or for in Arizona, if individuals show up, they predominantly vote Democrat. And right now, I think Senator um, Mark Kelly is he's he's okay for now. So, but uh, the races haven't been called because they're so close. We had so many issues with um, tabulators, and um, so we're not there yet. It's so it's even though I want to say yes, we're excited. We don't know where we are with everything right now. Okay. Let's go ahead and take a call right now. We have listening online here in Malibu, California, is Zach. Zach, hello. Thanks for calling in today. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I uh, I voted yesterday. I walked 10 miles barefoot from where I parked my car at Truncus, uh, the Truncus neighborhood in Malibu on, on the ocean. And I walked um, along Highway 1. Most of the way, but then I was able to jump over and walk on some secluded private beaches where these people live, sort of. I made it to downtown City Hall in Malibu, and I walked barefoot the entire way. And why do I do this? Same reason why I did it in 2020. In 2020, after the presidential election, I walked 20, over 20 miles, close to 25 miles, to vote from the Malibu town, uh, city line in Los Angeles County all the way to downtown Los Angeles, where where uh, where I had registered to vote that year. And um, why do I do this? Because I wanted to make it kind of a prayer walk. And the funny thing is, and, and of course, you know this, is Native Americans used to do this kind of a thing. They would walk 20 miles or 30 miles or 40 or 50 miles just to sign a document, to, mm -hmm. to put their signature or to remonstrate in some way. When I say remonstrate, I mean, that's a fancy word, but that I mean they would try to have some... Um, influence on 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 how the government was uh their policies towards you know their future the future okay. of the native americans and they would walk by foot frequently read the history they would walk by foot and oftentimes a lot of these folks didn't have shoes or moccasins so moccasins might wear out halfway halfway of the 50 okay. miles they would just walk barefoot and they were comfortable with that and when you're walking barefoot you have some communication with the Mother Earth. You're able to absorb 
some right, more wisdom right. in which you're able to make those decisions, those thoughts that are on your mind, those heavy thoughts on your mind. You're okay. able to make some um, better decision, a better resolution. And it also, I feel that we need to demonstrate these types of prayer walks when voting. Okay, Zach, I, w- I want to thank you for calling in and, uh, wow, walking 10 miles barefoot to make it to the polls there in Malibu. I want to applaud you for your commitment and, and your passion for, for what you believe in these prayer walks as you describe them. And uh, I want to ask Angela about that, you know, in terms of just understanding as Native people the significance of, of what it means to have that vote. And, and we've talked about this on the show leading into the elections. You know, it wasn't that long ago in many Native communities in different states that Native people weren't even allowed to vote, uh, even until just within the last, you know, 50 years in some cases. So, Angela, um, what's your thought on that in terms of just Native people really understanding the significance of that vote? I, I mentioned earlier, you know, some people don't even, you know, maybe didn't even want to vote yesterday. They didn't feel compelled to. What's your thought? Well, as Jordan's sitting in Washington, D.C., uh, hearing the ICWA case, I think these these uh, cases are why it's important for Native Americans to vote. So we're electing individuals that represent the tribal needs are in understanding that government-to-government relationship. Yesterday, I had two students. Um, they, come, they came out to vote for their very first time, and we had a poster and talked about the history of Native vote. And here in Arizona— Native Americans, yes, there was the Voting Rights Act that passed in 1965, but there was a provision that had a literacy requirement that didn't allow us to vote for those five years. And so it wasn't until 1970 that Arizona, all tribes in the state of Arizona were able to vote. So for individuals to sit out and not vote, especially, for instance, in Arizona, where we have a governor who her chief um, campaign manager posted uh, a derogatory picture pictorial of Native communities. I mean, it wasn't in a derogatory, but it didn't reflect the tri- the 22 tribes in the state of Arizona that this governor would be representing. So I think those are the wa- those are the some of the reasons why we're making sure that we need to show up and vote. And and I I'm sure we did. I see we did, Sean. Now I do uh, think next year we need it. We're still going to need to do more groundwork because in 2024 we're going to have a presidential race. So, I mean, I know we're not, we shouldn't even be talking about that. We should just be breathing a fresh, uh, breathe, take a breath of fresh air, but uh, we can't even get up. We're, we need to keep going. So to all your grassroots people out there doing native vote work, we got we to gotta keep going. Well, I know there's some concern over voter access in Arizona, and you touch on that, on how that could be a factor going forward. And, and even the Republican candidate for governor was calling the system into question recently. So um, how, do you see, think that, how do you see that playing out here going into the, to the, to the 2024 election? I see, you know, yesterday there were a couple of hiccups and there was um, there were some issues with the tabulators. And, you know, I, I, I know I trust the process. I trust democracy. I trust the system. And I think that's something going forward. We have to have faith in the process and knowing that it's at least going to be like, for instance, yesterday at the polls, there were issues where they weren't taking the ballots were not being processed correctly for, uh, due to a printing issue. And this was like all across the Maricopa County. I think 20% of the machines were having issues. So we had individuals, community members. I mean, everyone gets into this conspiracy theory theorist, and it's and it frightens people. And we don't want that. We want individuals to understand. 
now is there a process if we were going to make sure your vote is counted. We need you to make sure your vote is counted, and we'll do our part. Actually, we had the ASU Indian Legal Program there, some uh, individuals, and we had them take down names and, like, hey, we're going to do what we can to um, validate, and if there's issues, then we'll take the next steps to fix things. I mean, there always has to be a solution. We can't just c complain and say, what are we going to do? We, there has to be a solution. So if there's a printer issue, then we're going to make sure whoever's elected to the Secretary of State seat next is going to fix those issues for the 2024 election. Okay. Let's take another call. We've got Peter listening on KIPI in South Dakota. Peter, hello. Hello. Hello, Peter. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I really think uh, what's going to turn out with the Republican side is that uh, we're not going to have a, as big of inflation as we do right now. I think most of that inflation, what uh, what cost, what's causing that is when they're going to kept passing out stimulus checks up till now, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, the people that are paying taxes, those are the people that are paying for all that stimulus money being handed out like that. Well, Peter, you make a, a really good point with regard to, to the inflation at record numbers we're seeing, and inflation numbers like we haven't seen in 40 years in this country, and so many uh, working families are concerned about the economy, and I know that was at the forefront uh, of a lot of folks, a lot of Native folks who, who went out to vote were, were very much concerned about the economy and made that a priority in terms of, of the candidates that they selected. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, economic concerns and, and, and inflation and some of these other factors that, that play into the election. And joining us now from Oklahoma is Alan Wright. He is the president and founder of the Hustings Group. He is Cherokee. Alan, welcome to Native America Calling. Uh, good to be with you. I'm, I'm Choctaw. Choctaw. Okay, I'm sorry. You are Choctaw. Apologize. And Alan, I, I know you were watching the Oklahoma governor's race very closely. There were predictions it would be close, but that wasn't the case with Kevin Stitt winning handily despite opposition from some of the state's largest, most influential tribes. Uh, what can we take away from that outcome? Well, I think it's more macro politics. Um, you know, the McGirt issues and some of the tribal issues were really not on the ballot, although, as you noted, uh, the leaders of the five tribes um, endorsed Joy Hoffmeister. So there was certainly a, a native element to it. But I, I think we found um, how deep red Oklahoma really is. Uh, the governor did trail 10 points, 10 to 15 points. Uh, below the rest of the top of the ticket. So the, the attacks and, and the kind of the viciousness of the campaign took its toll on him, but it, there's, it's unmistakable that it's a, a major victory for him. He still won his race by 16 points, lost only the urban counties uh, in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Norman. Um, so a, a resounding victory. I, I think from as the last caller pointed out, I mean, inflation and other uh, larger issues still took took its toll on the ticket. Uh, Joy Hoffmeister was caught, uh, I wouldn't say caught, but just spoke at a, a Latino event and was asked about sanctuary cities, and she said she was supportive of that. And most observers, at least the people, you know, around uh, – you know, the, the watch parties and other people I was talking with last night really thought that that's what 
caused her, she was peaking and doing mm-hmm. very well. That, that one really, that comment really hurt, really hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, I mean, double digits, it, it really was, um, you know, almost a landslide in some ways. And well, Alan, I mean, talking with Oklahoma's native voters there, like we had Peter mention, you know, so many folks are concerned with the economy and inflation. And, and, and you touched on that briefly, but do you think that the economy maybe uh, trumped some of these, for lack of a better term, trumped uh, some some native voters in Oklahoma with regard to, to some of these races in Oklahoma, as opposed to some of these other issues we talk about, like uh, criminal jurisdiction and sovereignty and, and some of these other pressing native specific issues there in the state no no question uh and you and i visited about that or we, we visited previously on the podcast uh, you know in oklahoma uh, the great thing about oklahoma is that you know, we have the largest native american population per capita uh, but we're we're dispersed you know we're we're all over the state um and we're not as confined you know to a certain geographical area although in eastern Oklahoma, you'll find you know greater density, but so it's kind of difficult to track um, how natives are voting, um, and that's something that that just as a political scientist, I'm going to endeavor to do. Um, but yeah, the 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 broader issues, the cultural issues, uh, we had a Republican win the state superintendent of schools um, race, and and his Democratic opponent was supported by the teachers unions and had a lot of broad-based support, and that race wasn't close either. And he ran on, you know, cultural issues, gender issues, all of that. And, um, and that, that won the day. Um, you know, I just think from an you know, Oklahoma standpoint, if you are a member of the Democratic Party, I don't know how you concoct a better path to victory than what Joy Hoffmeister had. And uh-huh. she still got still got beat by 16 points. So. Right, right. Well, you, know, you touch on how hard it is to, to track uh, data with regard to Native voters. And one thing here, you know, we saw this in, in, in 2020, and now we see it in 2022. And these polls, Alan, uh, they just don't seem to be <laughs> all that accurate anymore. And uh, what's the future here with regard to these polls? Because for so many years throughout my lifetime, I mean, those polls were really, really accurate at predicting races. And, and, and last night, we just saw some some polls that were way off. And are, are these things even relevant anymore? Oh, I think they, they still provide directional guidance. Um, and I part, part of my team, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, developing uh, analytical models and that that has more of a predictive quality to it than than a public opinion poll. You know, a poll asks what people think. Our models marry up with what they think and what they do, their behavior uh, across a wide variety of publicly accessible databases. So it gives you a better kind of a, almost like a cross reference. Um, and I and I'll give a tip of the hat to uh, Governor Stitt's pollster. Uh, he's very well schooled in data modeling, and he just kept telling people it isn't close, it isn't close, uh-huh. and um, and he was right. Yeah. And I've seen him work before, and and I I uh, I took I, I paid attention to what he was saying. Well, we do have to take a break in about another minute, Alan. But but I want to ask you, of course, uh, the other big news in Oklahoma: Josh Brackeen, Mark Wayne Mullen, Tom Cole 
all winners, all uh, congressional winners there uh, in Oklahoma. Were you surprised with the results of any of those races? No, not at all. Uh, not at all. The great news about uh, Tom Cole's reelection, if the Republicans take control of the House, which I think that's going to happen, um, he will be chairman of the House Rules Committee, an extremely powerful and influential position. So that's that's really good news. Well, listeners, we're talking with Alan Wright. He's the president and founder of the Hustings Group, and he is Choctaw. I want to say that again. He is Choctaw. And folks, if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, give us a call. We're talking the election. We're talking the midterm. It was an interesting night last night. If you stayed up and and, and watched as the, the results came rolling in, we'd sure love to hear your thoughts on what you're thinking right now. 1-800-996-2848. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We'll be right back. This Native American Heritage Month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're hearing an analysis of races that affect Native voters. If you have a comment or a question, join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. You can also post on our social media. Our handle is 180099-NATIVE. Let's go to the phones. We have another caller, Sonny, listening on KGLP in New Mexico. Sonny, hello. Uh, good morning. Yeah, a, thank you for taking my call. So um, I guess my biggest comment is every Native American person, no matter how they think or in what persuasion they um, are thinking, should register to vote in their um, tribal elections as well as in the national elections. Because what we do here at the home level um, reverberates everywhere um, into Washington. And I knew that one of the biggest aspects of the previous administration was gonna be all of the Supreme Court appointments. And we're now you know, reaping the, 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 I don't know what you wanna call it, I'm gonna call it chaos from the Supreme Court. And because we are Reserves and reservations are wards of the state of the nation. Uh, the Supreme Court has a lot of jurisdiction over what we do at home. So that's really important. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Sonny, thank you for calling in. And I'm going to go ahead and let Jordan Bennett-Begay respond to that because she's out there in D.C. right now. And she's uh, there at the Supreme Court where uh, some ICWA hearings are taking place. And and Jordan, would you, would you agree with uh, Sonny's comments regarding... Um, these issues in making sure that folks vote for not only those tribal elections, but also those those state and national elections as well? Um, yeah, I know that's one of the messages that a lot of, you know, politicians who were, you know, um, in office right now are running for re-election. Um, you know, I mean, in the case for the re- reproductive rights, um, they, one of the politicians uh, were saying that, you know, if you want to make a change, then go to the ballot office. 
um, go to the your voting polls, the polls uh, this November, because you know, that's where, at least in the case of like abortion, that's where it's going to be uh, state by state, um, and that's where the power is going to be held because you know that you can't vote out uh, Supreme Court justices, and you know a lot of that power is going to be um, to the states themselves. Okay. Well, Jordan, thank you for chiming in. And let's head now north to Alaska. Joining us from Anchorage is Michelle Spark. She is the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Get Out the Native Vote. She is Kashunamut Tribe of Chivak. Michelle, welcome to Native America Calling. Good morning, Sean. Kuyana, thanks for having us on. Good morning to you as well. And Michelle, uh, interesting factoid. I understand you were high school classmates with Mary Peltola. Do you like the results that are coming in for her race against Sarah Palin? I can't say we don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to stress that we are a nonpartisan voter education organization, but the the high schooler in me is is squealing with delight. All right. Okay. Well, appreciate that nonpartisan response there. And and let's talk about something really nonpartisan, Michelle. Voter access and election procedures in Alaska. Are, are you satisfied with the process so far? You know, we've been working really uh, well hand in glove with the Division of Elections and then the United States Postal Service, which is really in charge of about, you know, 60 to 80 percent of the voting effort and the Air Carriers Association and we've really put together a lot of the puzzle pieces to try to combat the chronic uh, election worker issues and, you know, transport and things like that, that that really play into how an election plays out. And we've had three elections in six months. And, it's, you know, I, I think we all have uh, voter fatigue, but, you know, I'm really pleased with the numbers we got last night. Mm-hmm. Well, um Interesting, interesting races up there. And when do you think we'll we'll start getting some some final results up there in Alaska? Well, we had our first round last night. We will have a couple more um, releases of, of data before the 23rd. So the day before Thanksgiving is when the uh, the Division of Elections will be able to certify the races. Okay. And... Um, the, the nature of the election, civil discourse between uh, Mary Peltola and Cyril Palin and, and the contentious debate there between Palin and Begich, uh, do you think that influenced uh, Alaska's Native voters in, in one way or the other? I, I don't think any of us were really focusing on the negative side of things. You know, uh, Mary Peltola really brought in uh, a funny disposition, and she was not, uh, you know, beholden to the national toxic relationships when it comes to party and partisan values and priorities. And she was able to raise herself or keep herself above that fray that unfortunately dragged down other ticket issues. Mm -hmm. And Michelle, Alaska is such a large state and and there are so many rural communities there, especially amongst Alaska native folks. And and what do folks down here in the contiguous uh, U.S., what do we really need to understand or or, or what are some some unique challenges there to fair elections and and to voter access that perhaps uh, people in other parts of, of Native America just don't understand? Yeah, thank you. I mentioned that the United States Postal Service was an integral part of our election system, and it's not because we're a mail by uh, by mail only situation like uh, like other states. So we have less than six hundred thousand vote registered voters. 
but uh, you know, we had a 27% turnout in June. We had a 32% turnout in August, and now we're looking at a um, you know a, a really nice turnout for for the midterms. I know nationally we're at a 40-year high of voter participation in the midterms. So with three statewide races and 59 state legislative races and judges and the constitutional convention question we had. I was really hoping that that factored in along with uh, Representative Mary Paltola and, you know, uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski defending their seats, that we, we all had to be compelled to, to put a voice in. So the turnout was a lot better. But, you know, we had we have weather that really, you know, decides how an election is going to play out. And we had the big storm this summer. It did knock some postal post offices off their foundations. And we had to, you know, find out new polling locations for a community that could accommodate elections. And, you know, we have to work really hard, and it really takes a village to make an election happen. And local participation is key. And that's something that Get Out the Native Vote is going to work on you know, in the off year in 2023 is to work on these systemic issues. But weather is a huge factor. Um, we put out a flyer with the Air Carriers uh, Association, 200 locations that have small air carriers, small planes, transporting every single thing that a community needs uh, for their daily bread, for their commerce, for, um, you know, transportation. And when weather factors in or mechanical issues, you know, everything stops everything is put on hold. So we were able to, you know, deal with some of the staffing issues. We were able to deal with some weather issues and relocation issues. But every rural community did have coverage yesterday. Some of them didn't open till later in the day because we had to scramble for um, election workers. But I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, through a lot of teamwork, we did get coverage yesterday. And it's, it's, it looks promising that, that we're going to have a almost 100% turnout for rural communities. Okay. Let's bring another voice uh, from Anchorage, Alaska, into the conversation now. We have Rhonda McBride. She's a journalist and news director for KNBA. Rhonda, welcome to Native America Calling, and congratulations on your new position there at KNBA. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to join you today. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about the Alaska races, Peltola, Murkowski races. It might take a while to decide. And, and this ranked choice voting, it's a factor in that timeline. How do you see those races playing out? Uh, and especially with regard to the to the uh, ranked choice voting and how that affects the dynamic? Well, ranked choice voting uh, is a form of reform to try to get more moderate voters in the mix so that you don't get extreme. And in Alaska, that seems to be working. You know, in Mary's race, for example, um, you have two Republicans that are in the mix. When voters go to polls, they can pick their first choice and then their second choice and their third choice. And so at the end of the election, they add the second choice votes into the front runners' totals. And so right now, Mary has about 47% of the vote, and she is well ahead of, of her other contenders, Sarah Palin and Nick Bagich, but she didn't get over 50%. So we have to wait till November 23rd when they add in the second choices. and. 
she will probably get that because she's so close to that that 50% already. Okay. So so and but it's kind of interesting that Lisa Murkowski, a Republican, Senator Lisa Murkowski endorsed uh Peltola right after the Alaska Federation of Natives convention. And some might think that that might be risky. For others, it was very refreshing to see this sort of bipartisan approach because we as a country are so polarized. And, of course, we saw that all over the country in, in these uh, midterm elections. And unfortunately, uh, her opponent uh, used that. To, to kind of whip up, up up the vote that, well, you know, she's really not a Republican, a true blue Republican. And so, <laughs> true red so, Republican. <laughs> true. I'm sorry. That's not a good metaphor, right? True blue Republican. <laughs> yeah. but, any, but anyway, uh, so Lisa is trailing behind her main Republican opponent, Kelly Shabaka. And it's, a, it's like only 3,000 votes that separate them. But the thinking is, and she told her constituents, her supporters, not to worry that, that she thinks it'll all shake down in the end because the Democratic opponent, uh, Pat Chesbro, has, has a chunk of votes there. And it's probably likely that they selected Lisa Murkowski as their second choice. So, so in the end, it may come out that Lisa Murkowski is reelected. But, you know, it's just kind mm -hmm. of interesting – how this ranked choice voting is kind of designed to bring out the middle, which I think is where most voters are. Right, right. And how do you feel Alaska's voters, and especially Alaska's Native voters, they feel about ranked choice voting so far? Do they overall, the folks you talk to, are they supportive? Well, I think that it was a little glitchy to begin with because it was different, but thanks to people like Michelle Spark, who really stepped up the voter education. Michelle, don't you think that this time around uh, that people had no confusion about ranked choice voting? Well, if, if they did, they settled for the old school way of voting, which was just voting for their first preference. And that's fine. Um, that's, that's everybody's prerogative. If their, their vote is their choice and they can vote however they want. Um, I have been stressing that there is power in ranking because the way it fell out in the August elections with Mary at the 41% back then was able to, um, you know, surmount uh, the special election win with this being ranked second by other voters. And, you know, that's the way we try to explain it to, to the Native community is if your pref preferred candidate is the least vote getter, they are knocked out. They are eliminated. And if you didn't rank, you are out of that instant runoff participation. And a lot of light bulbs went off in that in that discussion, and people realized, okay, there is a safety in at least ranking a second candidate. And with these offices that had, you know, four candidates as opposed to three in the special election in August, you know, it is a little bit harder to try to determine how your how the vote's going to fall out percentage-wise, but. It didn't seem to deter, deter people from the ballot box, um, Sean, to answer your question. I think, uh, okay. I think the Native community realized this is the law, this is the new election system, so let's do the best with it as we can. All right. Well, thank you for chiming in there, Michelle. And, and Rhonda, you know, we've been talking about uh, Mary Peltola's race and, and Senator Murkowski. And 
What other important races up there in, in Alaska do we need to be paying attention to? Uh, Governor Denlevy, any specific state races to, to be mindful of? Well, there was a, an interesting ballot measure on the Constitutional Convention. After the census, uh, it, it's in the Constitution that you put a measure up for voters, voters to have a Constitutional Convention. And uh, there, there's a lot of mixed feelings about reopening the Constitution. Uh, you know, some Alaska Natives have said that, well, you know, we weren't represented at that Constitutional Convention, so we want to open this up again. And others have said, no, because it'll put in jeopardy some of the things that we've worked hard to to earn. So, but basically, Alaska voters said no. You know, seventy percent of those ballots cast so far were against a constitutional convention. So that was interesting. And just one thing I wanted to add about Mary Peltola is I was at her watch party last night, and there were a lot of Alaska natives there, and I had an opportunity to chat with a variety of them. One elder who was just so proud of her, and she said, you know, she is Yupik, and the word Yupik means real person. <laughs> and uh -huh. she said, Mary is real, and I think that that's what we value in our culture is being authentic and real. And she said she, it, it's a good thing for America to get exposed to that, that, that people that, – and, and I was talking to uh, Senator Donnie Olson, who represents the North Slope – and he was not up for election, the only lawmaker who was uh, not up for election. But he said, you know, we have such a hard environment that we have to cooperate. We just wouldn't survive as a people if we didn't cooperate. And, and so I think that that's why there, there's this ethic of crossing over boundaries, working together. And he, he thinks that Mary – it looks like she's going there because I think with all the second-choice ballots – uh, likely to go to her, she's going to be well over that uh, 50% margin uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks when they count those. But I, I think that there's a real hope that that Mary, in addition to helping Native Americans, uh, because she is a Native American, will also maybe teach the country uh, about teach the country okay. some lessons that they need to learn. Okay. Well, I want to thank all of our guests today. This has just been a fabulous show. Insights and observations on the 2022 midterm election. Jordan Bennett-Begay, Angela Wilford, Alan Wright, Michelle Spark, and Rhonda McBride, thank you all for joining us. And we're back again tomorrow to review the oral arguments in front of the U.S. Supreme Court and a major challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act. Hope you'll join us then. I'm Sean Spruce. Program support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Probably Ruby by Lisa Bird Wilson, a novel about a Métis woman adopted by white parents who goes in search of her identity. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day, on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.